The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGA. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Productions, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Tarano. Uh, good evening and welcome back to Streetwise. Gotta to apologize to my guest who's on the line. You know, we're getting so popular here at WGBB that, uh, our engineers are getting overwhelmed with all these phone calls. So, uh, you know, so, uh, again, you know, that, that's what's happening here. I guess it's a good sign, but, uh, anyway, be, uh, before I introduce, uh, my guests, uh, I, I do have to mention this, you know, and, uh, which has nothing to do with what I'm going to be talking about with my, uh, guests. Uh, by the way, in, in about 30 seconds. Uh, you know, uh, last week I was talking about the Parkland shooting in Florida where, you know, all these kids were killed by a, uh, by, you know, uh, how can I say this? Some crazy kid. But anyway, uh, I did have a couple of guests on about a, over a month ago and uh, these kids were involved with the national walkout and they believed that if they walk out of school, it's never going to happen again. In fact, that was their slogan, never again. And I said, hey, listen, I'm sorry to tell you it's going to happen again. And it did happen again. And I said last week, again, it's going to happen again. And guess what, folks? It happened again yesterday. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, only guns can stop guns, folks. You know, uh, we have to start arming our school staff. I don't want to take anything away from my guest who's on the line which, you know, again, has nothing to do with him unless he wants to discuss it. Uh, look, I'm honored to have uh, my guest on the phone. Several reasons. You know the term, make America great again. MAGA, you know, and you hear it all over. But i got to believe my guest and his wife, I'm going to mention her name, Kate, I hope it's not like Katie, but I'm almost, well, who correct me, you know, I think they coined the term MAGA, make America great Again, he is the author of American First, which about the MAGA Manifesto. My pleasure to welcome to Streetwise, Pasquale Scapoletti, uh, Patsy Pasquale Scapoletti, Pasquale, Pat, welcome to Streetwise. Pat, Patsy, Patsy, anything you want to call me, Lou. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not a Patsy. You guys, you know, you and your wife, two, two tough people, two tough people. You know, uh, again, am, am I close to being correct that you you, you really pushed that you and your wife Kate really got that out there? This people are saying that he didn't make America great. No, I wish so, Lou. I can't take credit for that. Oh, okay. Uh, to my understanding, well, you know the the phrase "America first" it goes correct. back decades, maybe even more than a hundred years. I'm not sure oh. the full history. A friend of mine by the name of General Paul Vallely wrote up an America first document, I believe, in 2014, maybe 12, 13, something like that, and was in communication with Donald Trump. He was one of the people pushing to get Donald Trump to run for president, and he recommended, to my knowledge, excuse me, to my knowledge, uh, General Paul Vallely was the first guy to recommend America first as a theme to Donald Trump, on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm not sure of the whole history here, because it's complex, Lou. Uh, I believe after 2012, Donald Trump 
trademark Make America First, mm. uh, America First Again. I, 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 the whole history is a little bit daunting, but no, Kate and I did not coin <laughs> it. What we've done, if I may, Lou, yes. is I believe we've defined it. Absolutely. We listened carefully. We were inspired by it. Mm. We were pulled in by it. We didn't create it. We were pulled in by it. And then last summer, July of 2017, it dawned upon me that where would you go to find an actual precise definition? There really isn't any place. Mm. Now, again... General Dowley did a wonderful job in what he wrote up, but the the definition of MAGA moved throughout the entire campaign. So if you were to listen to a rally, say, in oh, July of 2016, and then another one in August, and another in September, right. and another in October, you'd be seeing how the definition of MAGA moved. It was those rally audiences. As much as candidate Trump is them back and forth, they created MAGA. It's actually bigger than President Trump. Well, you, yeah, but you push it. Go ahead. You got it out there, but pretty much. I mean, it's a, if, oh, uh, he's the leader. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, okay, so go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry about that, but yes. No, no, that's He's okay. the leader. No, you're right. He's the leader. And, oh, uh, he's the leader. He gets all the credit. Not only for winning, for doing mm. what he did like no other person in the history of America has ever done, uh, fighting down entrenched forces like no other, doing so, by the way, with less money and more spiritual force than any other contender in American history, yeah. which is awesome. But I'm telling you that for me and for Kate, when we were listening to the rallies as they evolved, we could see candidate Trump listening to the rally goers he would ask them a question he would listen for their response one of my favorite points is how ridiculous it is when uh, president trump's attackers accuse him of clapping for himself I know. that's so ridiculous <laughs> he's clapping for the audience he's clapping for the rally goers he's clapping for america itself the America that we all want to save. That's what he's clapping for. And he's listening to the audience, Lou. And so as much as anything else, when Kate and I set about to write this book, we were listening both to candidate and then President Trump, but even more importantly, the heart and soul of common sense America as it showed up in his rally. But you have it in the manifesto. You have it in the book. Yes. Right, you have it out there by uh, Amazon, by the way, folks. And yes, uh, yes so you, so you. Let me act- get the clear title out. Yes. so people can check it out. Yes. America first, the MAGA manifesto. Mm, that's right. That's the way I promoted you and Kate out yes. there. The MAGA. <laughs> and and people thought that they Yeah, some people. There any other way? Right. <laughs> so, some people thought since your name being Pasquale. And your last name Scapoletti, and then you know Pasquale, whatever. They thought Maga might have been an Italian word. Hey, Maga, you know. Hey, you know, <laughs> hey, why yo? You no, know. But I, I know. Manja. I know. Manja, manja. manja. That's, that's exactly. Yeah, I want to eat lasagna, you know. <laughs> Very good. You, you, you know, but you do have you do have like uh, an old fashioned. Very rare, I hear that anymore, Pasquale, the name. It goes, uh, my grandfather might have had it. I don't know anybody else uh, in the last generation, but you, you picked it up. But, uh, but anyway, you, you are Pat. But you and Kate, now you, you put this in a book. How did that come about? You know, because that helps, that helps, like I mentioned, that actually 
uh, adds to the rally. And you, you, it's like a rallying cry now, correct? Absolutely, yes. I believe we need it. I believe as a movement, we needed something that would ground us, Lou. I think we needed to go deeper into our American history. So one of the great themes that you'll find throughout the book is that we're reaching back to the Declaration of Independence mm. in 76, 1776. We're reaching back to the Constitution in 1789. And the themes of what define American greatness. You see, one, uh, here's another one of the attacks, Luke. People uh, on the other side, uh, and I respect them greatly, and I want to speak to them and Mm -hmm. build an open conversation with them. But they will say, I think often with tongue-in-cheek, but they'll say it, that America has always been great and there's no greatness to restore. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. We have lost so much of our greatness, and we must restore it. Well, in order to have a sense of that, it's my belief that we really do need to reach back across the centuries to our founding and to what it is that made America great in the first place and what got lost following World War II up and through, say, the 1970s. Now, of course, um, I believe that President Reagan did a tremendous job. And by the way, he did use, as many people realize, the Make America Great Again phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Reagan did. He didn't do it with the same panache as President Trump, but it was a phrase that he did use, and he lived up to that mission hugely, and he changed the American and world trajectory. So honor and recognition to Reagan, of course, but he didn't stop the development of the deep state, and he did not stop the development of the globalization forces that were hollowing out the economy of America. And then in the administration of uh, Bush the father, Clinton, Bush the Jr., and Obama, we saw how globalization was hollowing out America. So American greatness began to wither away. Why do you think that happened? Why do you think that happened, that it deteriorated and withered away, uh, Pat? In a word, I believe that the people at the top of America lost complete sight of precisely what we were just talking about. The Declaration of Independence, the Mm, Constitution, the fundamental basics, and also uh, the American system, which we talk about in the book as well. It dates back to uh, Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and Washington's first administration. It comes all the way forward through Thomas Jefferson, who was at first opposed to it and then got converted. Lincoln supported it. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt supported it. And it was simply this. Lou. It was the belief that here in the United States of America, we needed to be able to build an economy where every need was met by American economic forces, American businesses, American farms, eventually American entrepreneurs. This this system, the American system, where our federal government received its income on the basis of tariffs from other Mm. countries wanting to trade with us. That led us to become the greatest economic power on Earth for about 150 years. And I apologize for the complexities here, but they are what they are. Yeah, but here's the thing. But then then politicians uh, use that to wheel and deal for themselves. That's the point. So by the time the Reagan presidency was over, I don't believe that we have a governing elite 
that was interested in protecting middle America, fly over America any longer whatsoever. So all the laws were based on what is best, best for the great global corporations, often founded right. in America, but exporting jobs. Consider the trade deals, these multilateral trade deals, where what happened was these countries, especially Canada and Mexico, north mm. and south of us, were able to trade access to our market at no or low tariffs, while our uh, goods and jobs were being exported around the globe, and most especially Correct. to places like Mexico and these phenomenal multi-billion dollar factories they were building to ship product into America without American taxation or tariff protection whatsoever. Mm. This system, it was built initially and lasted for about 150 years to keep the American economy robust in the face of all global competition. Well, that started to fall by the wayside at the end of World War II, and then by the 90s, with the creation of NAFTA and the multilateral trade, uh, you know, trade uh, agreements that mm-hmm. were put in place, the World Trade Organization and its acceptance of China into it in the early 90s as well, that was where the American system itself essentially collapsed until 2016. All of the powers at the top the executive branch of the government, the elite uh, ruling corporations that were still deeply in bed with that structure, uh, pharmaceuticals, yes. the insurance industry, yep. their key street lobbyist relationship to Congress. The entire structure was, as candidate and President Trump has told us again and again, was rigged against us. And it is only his leadership that is giving us hope now through the MAGA revolution, where we have hope of reclaiming the America that was almost lost. You see, what happened, you're talking about became the norm. That's what happened. And, and the average person... That's exactly right, Lou. Yes. And, that's, and then not realizing it, it's in front of us, but we don't see it. We feel it. We talk about it. But it took a Donald Trump to put it in our face and say, wow. We see it now. We hear it. So that's what the heck is going on. And this is why. Yeah, you, you, you hit it on the head. Now, uh, Pasquale Scopoletti, Scopoletti, am I pronouncing that right? Scopoletti, Scopoletti, there's two, two different ways. Scopoletti. We're from that's the right. south. That's right. It's the south of, uh, well, anyway, uh, very, very, very good. <laughs> so, Pasquale, Pat, so, but, you know, but someone like you and, uh, and Kate, uh, Again, to put it in our face and bring it to our attention by putting in this manifesto, America First, like you said, it keeps it in front of us so we don't lose track of it like we did in the last several presidents. Not just Barack Obama. He joined the same club that was there before him. But, of course, he he did things, uh, well, pretty much worse, I would think. But it was all about themselves making a buck and... uh, Yes. But, you know, that's, that's all, that's what happened. We, and, you know, and people are seeing that and, you know, but what I can't understand, and, uh, and I'm in, I'm, I'm in the sort of, I, I guess you can say media business, is that why doesn't the press, they see it, they hear it, and they can touch it, and yet they, and they will not support them. When I say the press, I don't want to generalize the mainstream, uh, press. No matter what he does, you know, 
people say because cancer, they'll find a reason why to discredit him. You know, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like it's a it's a, a no win. So, but why don't they see this? And they know it. It's not like they don't know it. They know it was an elite, like you said before, a group of people, and they wanted to keep it elite until he came along, right? So why don't they fess up to that and, and work with us? Work with America first. It's a wonderful question. Well, I want to take it in two parts, if I may. First of all, we have to look at what we've done wrong as a society. I'm going to date it back a little bit more than 100 years to around 1913, when we allowed the progressive movement to essentially take over the halls of power from the White House on through. We put through the uh, 16th Amendment that created the uh, Internal Revenue Service. We set up the entire structure of a growing federal apparatus. It dates back over 100 years. Mm. Now, what was going on at that time? The Communist Manifesto, which is the true source of the progressive movement, was about 50 years old at that time. It is the Communist Manifesto and its vision that I fault for the entire wrong trajectory of the American experiment. I consider it to be a tremendous document. I truly enjoy reading it, and I'm a student of the Communist Manifesto. And in fact, it was absolutely an inspiration for uh, America First MAGA Manifesto. It is in that book. If you were re- if you reread it, if you've never have, or if you read it for the first time, you will see that one of the most important of all the elements that Marx and Engels point forward to is the takeover of education. Yes. And so this, I'm really not off topic. I'm leading back to no, the media. Yep. Uh, they have all come up in an educational system mm. where morality, social justice, it all harkens back to the 1840s as mm. defined by Marx and Engels in their manifesto. And we can cover it up and we can gutsy it up. We can call it social democrats or Christian social democrats. We can move it all over, you know, tarnation. We can call it progressivism, but it all harkens back to that. And it has taken over virtually the entirety of higher education. And then beginning around 1980, Lou, with the school union. When they took over the entire structure of the curriculum throughout the uh, throughout America, from the elementary and the high school levels, our children, then our adult children in colleges, they've all been educated by these mm. values. Educated, so uh, educated or brainwashed. <laughs> there, that's a painful, painful question. Uh, I know. There's so much brainwashing going yeah. on. Yep. But but I'm going to bring it back to education, Lou. Yes, we have to. Right. Okay. <laughs> there really is. They're being educated as to what modern values are. And I'm telling you, those values date back to the 1840s publication mm. of the Communist Manifesto. Yep. Now, coming forward to the mainstream media today, I've begun to build some relations to some of these people. Uh, and, you know, I'm duly on the scene. I was never involved in any of this before 2016. And I've come to feel the following, that uh, many of them are actually good people. And I don't mind 
President Trump pointing at the cameras and saying they're liars and fake news. I enjoy that as much as anybody. But what I see there, Lou, is that he's pointing, to my eye, to the top of the media operations, to the editorial staff, to the owners and the publishers that absolutely are ready to lie, stone cold lies about President Trump all the time. What I see at the level of the media that I'm beginning to have access to is good people who try to report as well as they can, but they can't see common sense truth. In fact, I have to pause and go back historical for a moment. There's uh, another element. I mentioned the Declaration. I mentioned the Constitution. Well, back in the 1776 time frame, we also had Thomas Paine's book, Common Sense. That may well be the most important book written in American history. Certainly, it was the most important book during the beginnings of our revolution. But I, I, I have to share with you, Lou, that when I, when I read it the second time, I read it in high school, and it meant nothing to me. I didn't get it at all. But I read it again a few years ago, four or five years ago, and it moved me in ways I couldn't have dreamed because I felt somehow a Lou, that common sense America might still be there. And so when candidate Trump came along with the Make America Great Again movement, it felt to me that the sleeping giant that had been there in 1776 and that had, you know, uh, put off the shackles of the British Empire on the American colonies in, in our revolution was being stirred back to life again by candidate Trump, whom we shockingly edit, uh, elected in November of 2016. It is that that has been essentially, Lou, erased from education so that these wonderful reporters that I speak to, they're great people, good people. They do their best to write up an honest story in my judgment. Yeah. They can't see through these lenses. They see unwittingly, as opposed to through the lenses of Common Sense America or a Common Sense by Tom Paine, they're seeing America through the eyes of Marx and Engels and the Communist Manifesto, and they would probably disagree with me about that. But, you know, that's a debate I'm more than happy yeah. to have with them. So just a long-winded way, Lou, to come back to the answer to your question. Why won't they write the MAGA movement and its power in America? I think it's more because they can't than it is because they won't. Uh-huh. I don't think they know how. I don't think they can see it. Uh, you know, I no, think it's you're right. like washed right. out. They can't see it. They can't feel they can't they really can't see it and I don't know what you're going to how can it's impossible to change I think because they're locked into this narrative that they're not going to change. You know, it's 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 going to be. I, they have to change because they have no choice. So, so he's going to be around. He, meaning Donald Trump, is going to be around eight years. So they're going to have to change. They can't be utilizing the same rhetoric about him. You know, they just can't keep doing that. It's, it's catching up with them because people are using. It is. The, yes, right. it's catching up with them, and people are using what we lacked for many years: common sense, and they're seeing it. So you know, again. It's in their face now. That's that's what's happening. So they're in the, and if uh, at least I know this, they're starting to give in a little at a time, not much, but a little at a time, because they have no choice. Yes. Because they have no choice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let me pick up on that point, Lou. 
It is actually one of my greatest objectives for the manifesto, the MAGA manifesto, to reach out to exactly such souls. In fact, in the preface, I, I work through three different categories of audience that I'm hoping to speak to. The first of those, like you, you and me, you know, fellow paisans who support Trump, that we agree about all this stuff, and we need something that will both deepen our connection to it as well as elevate our understanding of it to a higher level. Mm. And, and I do have to make a point there. One of the things I felt, I'm sure you must have felt this too, Lou, throughout the 2016 season, is that when I would explain to people, often close friends, that I supported Donald Trump, they would say, but Pat, you're intelligent. How can you support Trump? <laughs> and so in writing the manifesto, one of my goals was to establish that supporting Donald Trump and supporting the MAGA movement is absolutely an intellectually stimulating mm. and intelligent endeavor. The, you know, the term that they use against us is knuckle-draggers. Mm. Surely you've heard that term, right, Lou? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, well, they have to, you know, interesting about the uh, your book, the uh, MAGA Manifesto, uh, I like who uh, who did the forward on it. I got a folks. I got to let you know. A retired Lieutenant General uh, Michael Flynn gave you a nice forward on your uh, MAGA manifesto. How the heck were you able to do that? Someone like him actually did serve a short time as a security advisor for Donald Trump. But again, polit uh, politics to sort of uh, kibosh that. But how were you able uh, to get someone like him? That that's a great. But that tells actually tells the audience something about you. You know. Well, thank you. Um, it is one of the greatest honors of my life that during the 2016 campaign, I was able to procure utilizing intelligence community terminology. Now, i got to let everybody know, I'm not a military man. I was never involved. I was never affiliated. I'm not. I have no political background. Mm. Uh, so the language I'm using right now, I've recently learned. Okay. okay. Um, so in the intelligence community, a customer is somebody who reads an analysis, mm. and of course an analyst is the one who writes it. And so in 2016, I was able to procure, and I was completely as a volunteer, right? I was never paid a dollar for any of my work, uh, you know, as mm. a volunteer analyst. I was able to procure General Mike Flynn as my customer, and through him, again, you know, utilizing as a volunteer the intelligence community language, and through him, my analyses were forwarded to the inner circle of the Trump campaign and were employed at a strategic level from time to time in mapping out different directions than might have occurred without my analysis. Mm. Uh, during the, uh, from the time that General Flynn and I met at the beginning of August 2016 through the end of the campaign, I must have generated somewhere between three and 400 analyses for the campaign as a, a volunteer analyst from the outside. General Flynn read every single one of those, and those that were, in his judgment, pertinent, he forwarded. And I would every once in a while see something that I had recommended show up in tactical execution by the Trump team by watching it on Fox TV yeah. or whatever. And so our friendship and working relationship dates back to August of 2016. Then in the months following his ouster, and what a story that is, yeah. 
Uh, General Flynn and I maintained close communication, and in July of last year, July 2017, I wrote up an analysis that if you read the book, it's a chapter now. It's been expanded into the chapter that's called, it's the first chapter of the book, actually. It's called Victory Vision. And what it does, Lou, is it maps out some simple steps between uh, increasing our uh, representation, MAGA representation, in both uh, the uh, House and the Senate in 2018 as being the first and most important tactical objective. Then it steps very simply through a vision of winning re-election in 2020, (laughs) and then in 2022, having MAGA representatives in total control of both House and Senate, so that in the final two years of the eight-year administration, we will be able to enact the totality of the MAGA vision and have made America great again and have saved the America that we love. Excuse me. Mm. So that vision was the beginning of this book. And I did send that vision as an analysis to General Flynn in July of 2017. He completely supported it. I immediately started working on the book, and my wife joined me in a couple of months after that. And she and I have been working intensely from then till uh, May 11, when we were only able to get the first uh, the ebook uh, published. We now have the print version available as well at Amazon. Uh-huh. But at May, so from July of 17 through May of this year. My wife and I worked on it up in countless edits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And General Flynn was apprised of our development as we went, so that the foreword that he wrote for our book, uh, this, and, and I have commented on this, uh, not in the book, because it's occurred since, the media has immediately tried to reinterpret his motivation <laughs> for writing the foreword as if he was angling for a pardon. Right, right. Nothing could be further from the truth. The reason he wrote the foreword for this book, it's easy to understand because he says so himself right in the foreword, that he believes in the contents of this book. He believes in the MAGA movement. He believes in President Trump's leadership as being the only leadership that can save America right now. Mm -hmm. And that he believes in the plan that Kate and I put forward as, uh, ends up at the very last part of the book in the tactics that we urge every reader to engage. There's a set of ten tactics from registering to vote on down a list of all these wonderful steps that we hope every single reader will sign on for and execute. Tell them and how so to sign on. Let's before I want, I want to lose that. I want to make sure the uh, how can a reader sign on to uh, Maggie Manifesto. Where it's Amazon, well, obviously. You need to read the book. Right. So, of course, uh, if you yes. Read the book, you will find that at the very end, the final section of the book mm. is some data that we take from the Census Bureau about the um, uh, midterm elections for presidential elections. Yep. And by the way, this is one of General Flynn's strongest points. Uh-huh. He wants us, he has told me directly, he is passionate about this. He wants us, MAGA supporters, to set records in this coming midterm election to take it to higher levels of voter participation even than presidential elections. Mm -hmm. We are under General Flynn's command, and he is not a man used to having his commands not followed. Yeah, (laughs) I can see that. So that that is one of his 
greatest objective. And so we provide that data at the back of the book. But just before that, the final actual chapter of the book is a set of ten tactical steps that each reader, and when I say sign on, all they need to do is follow each one. So one mm. an example would be to write a review of the book. Another example would be to share its contents with others. Uh, to register and vote is the first one and the single most important. We talk about joining your local party. We talk about mm. helping people get to the vote, uh, you know, in November for the midterms. You see what I'm saying? So all the, the tactical steps for each reader are there in what is actually the final chapter of the book. Right. So this is a handbook for midterm elections, pretty much. Absolutely. And beyond, though. Yep. Um, so let me talk about the and beyond part, if I may. Luke. Yes, absolutely. The and beyond part is this. I believe that we have documented. So uh, I'm going to go back to those rallies first. There was a rally, the very last one, on November 8, 2016, after midnight in Grand Rapids, mm. Michigan. It was the final rally of candidate Trump's campaign, the very day that the uh, voting was to be done, November 8, 2016. And when I said about writing the book, my first question is, what actually is MAGA? You know, all of us followers, you get talking about it, we all know at this mm -hmm. point, that point, built the wall, etc., right? All of these uh, various elements that we've heard hundreds of times and we have deep in our hearts and souls, right? Mm -hmm. Ask any uh, Trump supporter... And they'll, you know, and if they think about it for a moment, they'll start to give you a list. It'll sound just like being at a Trump rally. Mm. But there's no place, uh, not not even, and I've read all the Trump's books, and not even mm. at the uh, websites, first for the campaign, now at the White House, I don't find in any of his works a crystal clear, and I don't think it could have occurred. There's not a crystal clear definition of MAGA because, as I said before, the rallies, Lou, those yeah. rallies were so important in setting what MAGA actually is. It's not just candidate Trump in his genius setting up a vision and a definition. It's an interactive dialogue that's actually listening to the heart of America speak. So we get. So when I'm asking myself, what is MAGA? You know, how do we define it? I went to that rally because right. I, I realized that at that point, he has perfected the message. Mm. It's been put through the refiner's fire of hundreds upon hundreds of these experiences, going back and forth, listening to what the people are telling him, making changes, evolving and adapting, etc. So in that rally, the rally of early morning November 8th in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I watched it carefully, and I counted out and wrote down with careful notes ten points that he went in the order that he listed them. And that was the beginning of my definition of MAGA. Now, from that point, I did not use a transcript. I didn't go to any other documents. I simply, after I identified each one of these ten points, I asked myself, what does this mean? And so I wrote up a single paragraph answer to that question for each of the ten, and then I wrote up a sequence of ten essays where mm. I explain this. And again, I'm not turning to any outside sources, although there's a lot of research involved, but I'm not listening anymore to any rally. I'm not reading what was written elsewhere or by anyone else. I'm simply asking myself, what does this tenant of MAGA actually mean? 
Well, of I, course I, I have to. Yes, I, I just want to say what I think it means, you know, coming from me. Go ahead, please. It, uh, what, it, in, in, I, what I see in this is that it got the silent, people are hearing the silent majority. This, to me, it surfaced, this MAGA surfaced the silent majority. So now they're heard. And I think we talked about before these elite people in Congress and whatever, yes. several presidents, uh, presidents ago, took the silent majority for granted, right? And I think what you helping Trump and what, what the uh, MAGA movement has got the silent majority to rally and speak speak up and speak that's my that's what I how I look at it because well, you and I have been talking to everyday people for many years and we all have our complaints we have our issues and but now it's like we got together and, and are rallying with it and with obviously with uh, the MAGA manifesto is I think it's cooperating what I think it got the silent majority people are listening to them they can we, we can hear them because we're, we are part of it um, so that's that's my uh, my uh, thought of it. That's a fantastic take, Lou. That's a, that's a, such a powerful way to capture exactly what's going on. It's as if somehow President or then candidate Trump had a stethoscope by which he could listen to the thoughts and emotions mm. in the heart of the and that helps me express. Can achieve. I hope that after those of the silent majority, those that President Trump has heard them, have been to the rally and are considering what they're going to do next, you might imagine that reading a document that gets to the heart of this in a written form is a going to be something that will be an enjoyable and meaningful experience for them. So that you know, going to a rally is one thing. Reading a book about the topic is it's totally different. It's a slow uh, process as opposed to real time. You do it whenever you want. You read as much or as little as you desire. And the, the experience of reading is a totally different medium. So that's A or number one. Then, here's my real hope. This is my ultimate hope, <laughs> is that having read this document, a member of the silent majority will now be empowered to speak on their own behalf and no longer be silent. So one thing they can do is simply hand the book to somebody else, mm. maybe who agrees, maybe who doesn't, and begin the conversation, but be empowered by the book to speak in their own voice right. and to speak boldly and strongly and aggressively with confidence moving toward the ultimate expression of voice, which is the vote in the midterm election. Yes. So this book, your book, and with the, uh, you're a co-author or is your wife the co-author? Actually, you're both. Uh, we're we're both co-authors. The way it works there, uh, right. I'm kind of like the idea guy initially, and right. then I'm the initial writer, and she's the editor. She's an amazing editor. But then after process, edit, process, edit, uh, you know, she's a far better writer than I am. Oh. And anybody who's read any of my other stuff, when they read this, they go, wow, it's a good thing Kate was involved. <laughs> wow. Speaking of, uh, so, yeah, speaking of other stuff, you know, uh, first of all, the, 
as far as the woman's always the boss, anyways. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, so, so and, have, and any, any wise man agrees that's with exactly, that. Exactly. You have to. <laughs> speaking, speaking of your other writings, you have a book that's Civil Rights Baby. It sounds interesting. That's an upcoming book. I'm sorry? Do you have another book coming up? I do. And um, I don't have the wrong name with it. Thanks for asking about it, Lou. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's called Reading Between the Lines. Uh-huh. I don't know when Kate and I are going to turn okay. to it. Uh, what it is, uh, and I have a sampling of it that I share with people like yourself or other members of the media who are interested or whatnot. Um, I have a sampling of about four or five of the analyses that I generated for the Trump team uh, as conveyed to General Flynn. Right. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't know how to put together a typology, Lou. There's five, mm. six, seven, eight, whoever knows, who knows however many different kinds of analyses I did. But there was one form that had a greater impact than any other. And General Flynn and I worked very, very closely together when I was creating it. It was a brand new form. In, in, in essence, all I did was take uh, the analysis of facts and commodities by way of Dow theory, for anybody who's listening who knows what mm. that stuff is, and I applied it to uh, the campaign data at the national level and was able to generate a support and resistance analysis. I generated about 50 of those during the campaign. Those will be presented in a book later on down, and like I said right now, I've got a sampling of those that I'm happy to share with interested people of just about four or five, but it lays out the process. And it also has a statement from General Flynn as to what those uh-huh. particular analyses meant to the Trump campaign. Can I ask you this? Have you heard from Donald Trump in reference to what I've never doing? spoken to the man. Uh-huh. I don't know if he knows my name. Oh, okay. I don't know what. So what happened, it's an interesting question. I would send an analysis into General Flynn. He would say he forwarded on to the inner circle. Yeah, I don't know um, if my name's on that or not, and I never asked. Okay. And I'm not going to ask now either. Okay. Um, because what I provided was a strategic image that was unique to me. And nobody ever asked me, not General Flynn, no one mm. ever asked. It was all done on not only a voluntary basis, but self-motivated, if right. you follow, right? Yes. I, I came to have the confidence that I had a strategic vision that was needed. I sent it in. And then what General Flynn did was he encouraged me. Keep these coming, Pat. Keep pushing. Don't back off. He's a brilliant manager mm. of analysts, right? So he kept me encouraged, and he fueled me through the entire process, but I had no tactical connection. Um, there's mm. just a few other members of the team that I had blundered into but never built real relationships to. So I don't know that any of them would even remember uh, mm. about what I did or know who I am, least of all President Trump. I've never had any interaction oh, with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that uh, down the road he's, uh, I, look, he's a sharp guy, he's a smart guy. And uh, listen, you are part of that uh, silent majority that's making a lot of noise now, you know. So, <laughs> I hope to make a little bit more you, even you, yet, Lou. You are. <laughs> well, let me tell you. You've, of course, obviously, I, I know you, you use the term volunteer. We're all volunteers. It seems like when we want to get want to get this message across, you know, and uh, we want to actually make America great again. That's you know, it's uh, uh, you know what, what I say when when I talk about it on Twitter or whatever. Uh, what, what I use. I use it differently. I say, let's make America 
America again, you know. So, because there was there was a time when, yeah. you know, there was a time, let me put it that way, I, and, and we lost it, you know, and got lost in the shuffle. And like we spoke about a moment ago, and Donald Trump is re- actually surfacing it again. So, uh, and it's uh, much needed. Now, you have a consulting company, and I get a kick out of the name of it, right? It's, yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of down south, when you said down south before, people, I, you know, when, when you said down south, I know what you're talking about. I'm talking about southern Italy, you know? Yes. Consigliere, that's what uh, your consulting practice is. I think, isn't that the name of it? Uh, yes, I am the consigliere. Consigliere, which folks, that's a Sicilian term, by the way, you know. Yes. And 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 it's no secret. It's pretty much brought to a lot of our attention in the 1969 movie, The Godfather. You know. So, Absolutely right. But I knew about it before that. You know. Of course I, you did. I, because I'm from originally, originally from the New York's Lower East Side. So uh-huh. I I knew what yeah, God, you know I knew what a God I knew what a Godfather was you know wow <laughs> and I knew I know I knew that was the boss of the bosses you know so yeah. uh, but it's it's a a nice name a tricky name so I just wanted to get the folks out there uh, aside from uh, make America great again and. Um, the MAGA manifesto. You have this consulting uh, practice, which what does that mean? Who, who's the who is the boss in this? The Godfather. Well, each client that I serve, I, I don't have a single don. Uh, unlike Tom Hagen, you know, <laughs> right. gets to serve only one client. I have to, mm. you know, I have to be out there beating the bushes, coming up with clients. And so each client that I serve is a don. Oh. I specialize most especially in recruiting. Um, uh, third-party executive headhunting recruiters uh-huh. since 1993. But I've been in practice since 1987, and I've served everything from CEOs of major corporations yes. mm-hmm. uh, all the way on down to the smallest of small businesses. And so as conciliori, I am often involved, I think you'll understand this, Lou, in teaching a client how to come as close to actually becoming a Don or mm. a Donna as possible. <laughs> but not a Don Corleone, I hope not. No, 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 I'm just using that. No, but Don Corleone. Not Don Corleone, but similar, but close to a degree where you're the boss and you're in charge and you know what you're doing, you know. So Absolutely. And where you know, the the value of a Don for his family ends up being in the love of the Don for mm. each and every member and for the family itself. And that transcends whether you're a criminal enterprise or a government enterprise <laughs> that is, you know, barely not a criminal enterprise, all the way on through wow. to the smallest of small businesses. The love of the Don for his family is the great theme mm. that I'm always searching for in service to each and every client right. with whom I work. Right. And what does that love mean? What does it mean from a discipline point of view? What does it mean from the vision? Where's the business going? How is the family going to thrive? Yeah. And most of all, where does the Don see his own failures of leadership through the failure of the performance of the, uh, of the members of the family and the business itself? Mm. And so the ability to analyze the failures of the firm from the point of view of a loving leader who cares about the firm and isn't going to shuck responsibility, mm. that's pretty much what my work in my client centers uh, with my client centers around. Uh-huh. So you you hey, listen how do they reach you? Uh, 
let's let's give a little plug there, uh, Pat. <laughs> uh, they go to theconciliori.com wow. and check out I my simple so. website there. I've got an article there, which that they can sign up for, uh, and that article walks you through a couple of different ways. It's a white paper. It's about 26 pages. It walks you through. Now, I don't talk about being a done in the white paper, but you, if you were to read it yourself, Lou, you'd go, oh, he's just talking about people being a done. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Well, let me spell that for you folks out there. It so happens I, uh, not that I can spell it from my head. Obviously, I wrote it down. Well, consigliari is C O N. S-I-G-L-I-E-R-E. So if you're looking up... Uh, non- that's not going to get you to me. No. no That'll that's get a, you what everybody that's says. Too, yeah, so what's... Uh, I just wanted to spell it. So how does that get to you? I buddy? appreciate it. And by the way, I want you and everybody else to know I get my spelling from right. 1969 first edition uh-huh. by Mario Puzo, Whoa. where he spells it C-O-N-S-I-G-L-I-O-R-I. Well, he's the guy that should know. Yes. Oh boy. So, uh, so. So, and my website is you know www dot t h e c o n s i g l i o r i dot com. I. So I'm always careful to pronounce the e and the i. The conciliari. I don't pronounce the conciliari. So you call you call Don Pasquale Scapelli. You know, uh, and if you if you know him like I do, you could say, "Hey, Basqua." There you, know? you go. So, and, and then, okay. Uh, but you're very you're a very humble guy. The name, you know, doesn't seem to. Uh, you know, it's a good. I like it. It's it's interesting. It's well, catchy. You it's it's interesting and catchy. And, and uh, you know, uh, again, what the, the, the mission that we want to do is, uh, and, and I believe we got to look forward to the midterm elections because. It's going to really tell us or show us or help us uh, in what direction we're going down the road because uh, uh, people don't realize that we're on the right track now. You know, with the you know, absolutely right. You know, so. Uh, uh, in fact, if I may, I think yes. you find, especially if you take a look at that sampling uh, called "Reading Between the Lines" that I sent you. Okay. And if you were to read what General Flynn has to say about having read every mm. one of the analyses that I generated during the 2016 campaign, I think you'd find that there are two different levels where my professional work really does apply to what you and I are talking about here in my part, where I had been a part of the uh, silent majority my entire adult life, but Mm. I stopped being quite so silent in 2016, and it's this. In my work with General Flynn, I was able to listen and hear what he needed, and I viewed him as my Don. Now, he and I never negotiated that in any direct way, but I think that were he able to speak about the topic, that he'd have no problem with, with stating that my professional skill set as a conciliori was absolutely part of what I had to do. Let me give you an example. He very rarely could say to me, I need you to go this way, I need you to go that way. Mm. This is not the direction we need, this is what we do need. But I was... I was able and I needed to be able to understand from subtle keys in context and responses or non-responses what was most beneficial to the campaign team. And so I utilized my conciliary skills in interpreting a very difficult code and it being able to serve through those 
three to four hundred analyses. And I'm going to brag a little bit more, Lou. I hope so. I believe. I, I thank you. I believe that through it all, I was really able to listen to the language that I called in my mind and heart then. Mm. Trump ease. I believe well. I can feel the language that candidate and President Trump think and speak in as the ultimate done, not only for America, but for the entire world. Mm. He is working to make the world safe again, yes. at the same time as he's making America great again. And so it's at a step removed, because as I said, he and I have never spoken. I don't even know if he knows that, you know who I right. am or that I exist. Right. I don't know. Uh, but it was always strategies that I could imagine the campaign, and even if he were to know about them, candidate Trump himself embracing and saying, this is an acceptable strategic vision. And I don't know to the degree how much I succeeded or failed. I don't know. But as a conciliatory, you often don't. Well, you I, 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 well, you, you listen, you got uh, the, uh, you got the ears, I should say, uh, listening to you, the Lieutenant General, uh, Mike Flynn. And, uh, I have to believe that, uh, he's got a dialogue with, with the Don, Don Trump, you know. Indeed. And that's another point, and, and maybe one that really is the most unspoken of all, Lou. To the degree that I've come to understand General Flynn and his friendship and support and collegial partnership with candidate Trump, I think that that's been a missed story. And I think that the extraordinary skills, the brilliant analysis of his own, and his ability to pull in from sources such as myself, and I assure you, many, many others. Uh, you know, General Flynn can take in information and process it and keep on top of it and then convert it into actionable advice. Mm. Maybe better than anyone else in the world. And the positive friendship between the two of them, that, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that they spent hours and yeah. hours together on Trump Force One, mm. going over every aspect of the campaign together. I believe that that part of the story has been missed more than hit. That, uh, as yeah. an advisor to the campaign, and he too was a complete volunteer. I don't think most people realize that. Mm. General Flynn volunteered all of his time and effort and energy to the campaign. As a volunteer to the campaign, his fundamental contribution to helping get candidate Trump elected, as I say, I believe that to be one of the great missing parts of this story. Well, I, I listen, Squally, I think you're going to bring it out. You know, and what you're doing. I'll do my best. Yeah, and you will. I, again, folks, I have to tell you this. To get a forward on your book, and by uh, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, on your book and uh, on anything, you know, just to have a conversation with him or him to agree with you in, in, in a conversation is uh, is an important thing in itself. So, uh, you know, I have to compliment it's you. It's the greatest honor of my life. It is a great To be able honor. to work with General Flynn in service to the MAGA movement in 2016. Absolutely. Something, and, and maybe that's a great point. I, I know we're coming up on the end of our time. He has a great point to end on. Uh, Lou, before 2016, you know, my wife and I were political junkies, as I shared with you, and we would yell back at the TV 
TV over, you know, what this guy or gal was saying, how wrong they're now, you know, back and forth like that. Mm. But we were in no way ever involved in any political endeavor or anything outside the day-to-day living of our everyday lives together as a family. Well, you know, that's what Donald, Donald Trump has done that. People that couldn't care less about politics. Uh, that's it. Uh, now, we cared a lot, yeah. but we never took any or, action. No action, we pretty took, much. Yes. Uh, none. We took no In fact, it's beyond that, Lou. I was a vote skeptic. Mm. I didn't believe in voting. I believe that the vote was a rigged structure. I didn't see any difference between Democrats and Republicans. And it felt like a, a great come on that it just didn't matter. I was a complete vote skeptic. Well, what, until what did we Trump get converted me. Well, uh, Pat Scapoletti, what did we used to hear? Ah, nothing's going to change. It's the same thing. They're all going to do the That's same it. thing. They're all going to do the same That's thing. It. That was the attitude. So why even vote, you know? That uh, was my attitude. Yep. And so when when the movement came along, and I kept hearing more and more from candidate Trump that spoke to all, I didn't know, Lou, how heartbroken I was over the loss of America. I wow. I couldn't even access the depth of my soul's pain, mm. agony, and despair over an America that I thought was lost forever. Well, well, we're out of time, and, so, and we need people like okay. you to not to make sure it's not lost forever. And I, you know, my guess, uh, uh, we could have done it for another hour. Uh, Squally, Pat, Scarpelletti, and the MAGA Manifesto, America First. Pat, thank you. We'll talk soon. I hope. Thanks so much, Lou. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, same here, Pat. And don't forget, folks, Monday, the 28th, Memorial Day. It's not Veterans Day. It's Memorial Day. You have to pay tribute to the American soldiers who died in military service uh, since the Civil War. This is uh, Lou Talano. Thanks for listening to Streetwise. Uh, again, enjoy Memorial Day.